Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm hanging out with my neighbor, actually, if you can call 40 miles being neighbors, but we do get together. It's Peyton Jones. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about, among others, is that he's written a new book called Church Plantology, which is really, really good. And so I want to make sure that we get into that. But so, Peyton, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It is so cool to be on your show. It's really great. I'm so glad I got you here. And uh, we're going to, you know, just jump into the book. But uh, before that, just tell me what's going on in your life. Well, um, man, I literally like I just got off a call uh, about 30 minutes ago um, talking to uh, members of an organization where global church planning is just on fire and they're they're just seeing all of this movement. You know, it could be anywhere in the is somewhere out in Africa in the bush or maybe in India. And uh, they were just describing some of the planners recently that have been beaten uh, by 60 people. Another person had been martyred. And uh, just talking to people like that, you just, you feel kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy, you know? And uh, it really, just to know that there are illiterate, um, unlearned, uh, unprofessional planners out there that are self-sustaining, that leave a village with their family, where their family's persecuted, they plant out, they multiply themselves, and then come back. Um, and, and these are people that are just doing things like this was the dream. This is what Paul had in mind. And then to come back to myself and my own life and think, yeah, I, I really haven't done much. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm feeling today. And I live among the people who are persecuted because somebody wants us to wear a mask. The government is trying to take away all of our liberties. And we weren't able to meet on Sundays in the building. And so the government is out to get us. And uh, we have no idea of, of what goes on out there in the in the very real world. Mm. What we live in it isn't the real world. Um, one of the things that dawned on me recently is that you know, I, I started out talking about planting churches, and I began to think about multiplying churches, and I began to realize we're on the wrong track. We need to talk about making disciples, but then I, I've come to realize, no, we need to first talk about obeying Jesus, because I'm talking to guys who are going, how would I ever motivate my complacent Christian congregation to want to go out and, and plant a microchurch? And so now I'm thinking, oh, we got to talk about holiness and about lordship and obedience. And then it strikes me, yeah, but if they don't hear the voice of the Lord, uh, then none of it counts for anything. So we need to teach people to listen to the Spirit and then be willing to obey the Spirit. And then the rest of it's going to take care of itself, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book. I'm, I'm holding it here. I mean, I'm impressed. None of my books come out in hardback. 
Uh, <laughs> somebody really believes in Peyton. I know this is quite a deal. So talk to us a little bit. Talk us, you know, kind of through why somebody who's listening to this ought to really want to get this book and read it because it's uh, it's got a lot in it. Uh, if you've never planted a church or don't even think you're going to plant a church, this book is still for you because counterintuitively, what the book does, it starts off saying what I have said for years, and that is I don't give a rip about planting churches. I really don't. That's not what I was ever called to. That's not my ministry, which is strange because I'm known for training church planners. But here's the secret, and you know this, and this is why the book starts off with your story, is that if it, and I quote you in this. In fact, someone just texted me today and said, that's a brilliant quote. A guy that I'm actually discipling right now. He, We're doing miniatures uh, once a week. We get together and we, we paint miniatures and I just disciple him. He was a guy that we picked up at the skate park and a um, little punk rock guy about 15 years younger than me and just pouring into him. And he had no idea as an author. I kind of hid that from him for a long time. And uh, we get together and we do a little nerd hobby and I talk to him. And, uh, but he's anything but a nerd, but, uh, he quoted that. I love, he just texted me today. I love how in the book, it says that you can plant churches and nobody gets discipled. But if you disciple people, churches will get planted and back to the global mission front. That's actually why one of the other reasons I'm speaking to these global mission agencies about church planner training, because they said, look, we translate discipleship tools. We translate a tool that helps people move through John and it's taken off like wildfire. But once people start doing that, it created a movement and now churches are getting planted and we don't know how to train church planters. So can you help us train wow. planters? So it was like a real, you know, I, I remember thinking, man, I wish I'd had these conversations before. I, I, I knew it was true. And, you know, I, I, hopefully I demonstrate it in the book and I knew it from you, but, um, you know, it's really, it's actually how it works globally on the ground. And so this book really is a book about doing what's recorded in the great commission and churches are the effect. They're not the cause. You don't focus on that. In fact, the book says, if you ever find yourself focused on church planning, you're actually doing something different. You're doing what I call church starting which is kind of idolatrous, really. You start with the church as an institution, organization, and you, you create a sexy logo and a flashy website, and you, you attract a crowd, and then you, you reach critical mass, and then uh, I, I'm not called to that. You know, I'm, I'm called to do the other grassroots stuff. And if a church happens on the side of it, great. That's a bonus. You know, I'm not sure anybody's called to that. Uh, I, I think that we don't plant churches. We plant events. Uh, we, we plant uh, basically businesses. And I've been guilty of that myself. And, and I'm learning to think differently that it, it has to come through the pathway of making disciples. It, you know, it has to deal with people and their personal relationship with Jesus. In, in your book, you get into uh, spiritual gifts pretty well and pretty succinctly. It's not a real long chapter, but talk to us a little bit about that and how it relates to disciple making and church multiplication. And maybe talk that, a bit about microchurch and all that. You know what? That is literally the best question I've been asked about my book because that to me is the heart of planning churches. And, and I'm glad you caught that because uh, and, and I know what you're saying about like, you know, I, uh, I think 
I, I use Paul at the beginning as, you know, he, he didn't look back on Galatia and think, man, I did awesome. That was a great mission trip. I planned all these churches. He was horrified at what happened a year later. And he switched up. And so even when he said, I'm guilty of, of this myself, this and that, I mean, man, I apologize at the beginning of the book that I didn't know what I know now for all those of you that trained with me years ago. And then I apologize today. I'm still learning, right? Like I still don't know everything I need to know, but I learned in one of my church plants and I, I felt every church I planted, I learned like I'd, I'd have this significant breakthrough. <gasps> It was all about this, you know, it wasn't about that. And, and I remember being in urban Long Beach, planning that church, knowing from day one, we are going to plant multiple churches. And I'd tell them, like, I would say all the counterintuitive stuff, like, uh, Hey, I don't give a rip if this church is here in a year and you shouldn't either that, that, you know, and just the power that that had in people to free them up. Well, what we did is we, I, I took them all up to a, a holiday inn. And we looked out over the city, you know, the one you'll know, it, uh, Ralph, um, particularly because you were up uh, that way. The it's round the, one. Yeah, the round one. And <laughs> I took him up that and it looks over Long Beach. And we had a day of prayer. And one of the things I did was I want to find their gifts. So I, I, I because this this to me is what church planning is about. It's about mobilizing people and their gifts. Once you crack that, you've cracked church planning. And the, one of the reasons that I'll say that is you know, the apostle Peter, right? He, he's, they say, what is this on Pentecost? And he says, this is what Joel spoke of your old men, your young men, your old women, young women, your manservants, maidservants, rich, poor, young, old, male, female, doesn't matter. I'll pour out my spirit in the last days and their gifts will be activated. That's what he's saying in that passage. Their gifts will be activated. And that's what you're seeing. See, Peter's gift was activated that day. And he preached and thousands of people came and he says, but this is for you and your children. And as many as the Lord our God shall call. So whenever people's gifts come alive, they immediately become evangelistic. I, this is how I find gifts. I'm not saying it's the right way. It's just, it's just the way this knucklehead's figured out to do it. Hopefully I find a better way, but I break them up into small groups. And so I flap down newspapers from Long Beach in this case, or whatever city I'm in. And I flop those down on the table and I say, hey, I want you guys to circle with a black Sharpie all the needs of the city. Then I say, right, I want you each to circle. If there was one or maybe two things at most that we had to do as a church, one of these things we had to pick a fight with as a church, circle it with a red Sharpie, just one or two things that we'd have to do something about if we planted here. This is where the magic happens. I would ask them, okay, stand up and share with me why you circled that one thing. Talk to me about that. Ralph, they would stand up. They would start to share. They would start to cry. They would start to weep. This passion would come out. This burden would come out. And I kind of lay out in the book, this, this is my uh, kind of philosophy, that once you find people's burdens, what they're burdened for, you find what they're passionate about. And when you find what they're passionate about, that is a direct link to their spiritual gifts. Because people are passionate about what God has gifted them. So, so one of the things like, you know, if somebody's up there going, you know, we've got, you know, I was homeless. I lived in my car and I, 
you know, I can never get socks and, and we have got to, you know, and there's people need to eat. And I'm like, okay, you have the gift of helps. You have the gift of giving and you have the gift of compassion. Okay. What I want to look at is who is the Holy Spirit directly put in the room with me here? And what gifts, if I have, you know, say 30 people in a room and 10 of those people have the same gifts, well, that's probably one third of my mission right there. Mm -hmm. If six other people have this gift, but only two people have this gift while I'm waiting because those 10 people over here using their gift are going to reach more people to match the gift of those other two. That's just like Cape Canaveral. That's a, that's a launching pad that's not ready to launch yet. But the Holy Spirit, that's for future. And so I strategize mission based on the gifting that God's put in the room with me. And that's what we do. We just, it's, and I call it gift-driven mission. But to me, that is the secret to planning churches, is activating every believer in their gift. I'm actually writing notes here. I don't know what to say next. I'm, I'm learning so much. I'm, I'm taking notes. This is I'm supposed to be writing a book right now, a follow-up on on microchurch. And uh, this is just right down the alley. This is very, very good. What you just said to me is going to end up in that book for sure. Yeah, well, hey, you know, there's a lot of Ralph Moore in my book. So What else is going on? You know, ended up when I wrote this book, funny enough, um, all my church planning plans went on hold. I'm just picking up where I left off. I now that I wrote because I wrote this book during COVID, right? I mean, talk about Andrea. My wife kept saying, "It doesn't matter to you that the world's in lockdown. You would have been stuck in that room writing that textbook anyways." And it is a 500-page textbook. So if you guys go to Amazon and you see the price, <laughs> just know it's a 500-page textbook. So it's you know I've been um, pretty consumed recently with the thought that um, it's not just COVID, but COVID certainly contributed to it for me. Uh, for one, COVID has been very good to me. I, I've learned to stay home. Uh, I, I, I'm 75 years old. I've had a really nice time just being with my wife. And, um, and you know, while I was pastoring a big church in Hawaii, I was doing 10 to 12 trips, mostly to third world countries every mm. year. And, um, and, you know, I'm gone. I, I would be gone usually, uh, how would it go? 12 or 19 days because I could miss either one weekend or two weekends. <clears throat> and I was preaching Friday, Saturday, Sunday when I was home. So, and then as, as I got into so-called retirement, I, you know, I started doing 11 events for exponential. And then I just didn't have a, I didn't have a, a regulator. The church had been my regulator. So I, I just say yes to people. And pretty, pretty soon I'm up to like 20 times a year. I'm going away doing things. That was 2019. And so I decided to throttle it back. And now I've decided to really throttle it back to, you know, just I, I do about five things for exponential where I have to travel. And then I do one thing in, in, um, in Europe and another in Hawaii and, and another in Japan. And so it's kind of, you know, helping me that way. But I'm realizing I still live in a Christian ghetto. And, the, you know, my neighbors, my whole neighborhood is, it's one of those behind a gate things. But it's almost everybody in the neighborhood is a cultural Christian from Iraq. So they have a, a kind of Eastern orthodoxy that they don't really necessarily practice. And so I've been kind of looking at restaurants and coffee shops because I, I walk the neighborhood and I greet all these people. They greet me, the very kind, wonderful people. 
I'm afraid to do a block party because I don't know what you serve. But I found a little uh, coffee shop slash restaurant that the menu is in Arabic and English. And it's a couple of miles from my house, but I'm pretty sure, I mean, I've talked to some of my neighbors. I know they go there. And so I'm thinking if I just start hanging out every Friday noon, you know, lunch hour or something, uh, uh, pretty soon I'm going to get to know people. And my secret weapon is my wife because she's, she makes friends everywhere. And I sit there all nerdy and introverted and all that. But there's a need for people like all of us to, to, to spend time with non-believers. And one of the problems that I have with the church is that we suck people in and we suck them up and they, they, we cut them off from their, their affinity groups, from their households. Uh, They become foreigners in their own culture. And I'm tired of being one. I want to get out there and, and, and become a part of the world that I live in. That's pretty important thing right now for me. It's so funny because I'm sitting in my office right now that's that's getting remodeled. I'm, I apologize if you start hearing hammering in the background, but um, when it came to designing it, I designed it like a like a hobbit, not not like with the curvy ceilings, but to look a bit like a hobbit hole. Because I, I had another book called "Reaching the Unreached: Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art," and in it, you know, I basically liken the pastor's office to the hobbit hole and the Holy Spirit constantly is knocking on the door saying, Hey, do you want to go on an adventure? And most of the time we're like, no, you know, no, no adventures, terrible things make you late for dinners. What Bilbo says. But, um, a lot of my journey was just being flung overseas as a missionary. I know you were a missionary in Hawaii and, uh, you know, that's, that's quite cross-cultural, but you know, I, I think, you know, that, that is the challenge is once we, we head into, um, planting it is going where the people are and i i've never ceased to step out in faith and not have the holy spirit meet me in that vacuum and to me i i just i think for for you and for me um that apostolic there is an apostolic gifting and i don't know how to put it and this by the way for those of you that that are um, familiar with APEST, um, you know, Apostolic Prophetic Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. This book is written with that DNA. That is actually the framework. Almost the whole book, the church planning uh, textbook, is written with an APEST mindset. And that might kind of set it apart as unique. But I think, Ralph, what what apostolic planters do is they create an environment and community. Like I can just imagine you and Ruby um, in Hawaii. I mean, I, I feel like, because I know Ruby and I know you, I, I can feel that church. I've never been to that church, but I've had dinner with you guys. Um, I've been to your house. So we, you know, we've hung out. I feel like I know what that church felt like because wherever you find an apostolic, it's unconscious. They're creating community. They're creating, there's an atmosphere that travels around them. And in Jesus had that, I mean, Jesus definitely had that, uh, that culture building, uh, intangible quality, but it's, it's part of the spiritual gifting because you, you, because you're a frontline pioneer, you're, you're going to create community. But, but I think a lot of apostolics are unconscious of that quality that they have. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, some of the things that, that to me strike me as apostolic, one is a kind of a holy discontent with what's going on. Another is just a base frustration with, with business as usual. I, I want new things to happen 
and in and good things. And and then there's of course I want to advance the kingdom. I was uh, on a Zoom call with a really good friend of mine today, Neil Cole. And you know Neil to me stands head and shoulders above a lot of people as an author. Um, you know I, I think some people have given him bad rap because they were doing small churches, micro churches, house churches, and someone told me, oh Neil says that. You know that he he doesn't believe in big churches; it's all small churches. And so I actually confronted him, and he goes, "Absolutely not." And here's where it says so in my book. But um, Neil has done some really interesting things, and w- one of the things that he's done that that put him in touch with the the world out there. When he was a a young pastor, he took a paper route, just and, and he said, "I I had far more evangelistic success on my paper route than I did in church." And so recently he was driving for Lyft and had people who are, you know, two, three years later, he, he just did that for a while, but they, they, it, it put him in touch with people and got him out of the bubble. And uh, some of those people are politically opposed to whatever he stands for. Uh, some of them are, um, it, it, it has to do with gender issues. And yet they, they're, they've attached themselves to Neil. And so he's making disciples that, that he met in a very brief stint, uh, just an experiment, kind of doing the lift thing. Uh, I just think that all speaks to me of an apostolic gifting that can't be can't be stifled. And, you know, most recently, Neil is, it's like he's changed, I've, in his words, I've changed my audience. I'm trying to reach only millennials because the church is in such a poor job of reaching millennials. And Mm, I look at this guy who is a hero. I want to be like him when I grow up. One of the funniest jobs I ever had is I've been bivocational for years. And, uh, I, you know, when I plan a church, I do it free. Um, I don't raise funds for it. I just, I just go do it for me. And I think that's part of the apostolic thing is you just, you just think I'm just going to get on with this. Like Paul in the, in the hall of tyrannous, you just go do it. But when I planted my first church, accidentally it was in a Starbucks and um, I was working there as a barista and it was the hub of the community. It was in Wales. It, it rained every day there. So people were in there with their cup of mug of tea and cup of coffee and, and curled up with a good book and the comfy chairs. So we planted that church, but um, I went from there because I made, and I spell this out in the book. I made terrible money there. I worked 40 hours a week. I made minimum wage, but I I really connected with so many people. It was a, it was a it was a watering hole, as Alan Hirsch calls it. But what what happened was I you know I I saw myself getting more and more in debt. So I I took a job as a window cleaner with my church planning partner. Now I worked two days a week. I made double the income in two days a week and what I made in a forty hour week. And then here's the best part is I had an excuse to knock on every single door in my city. In a country, it rains every day. Window cleaners are very busy. And you would just be used to the window cleaner knocking on your door trying to get, hey, how much does a guy clean your windows for? Hey, I can do it for this price, and you'll like it. You won't have any streaks on your window. So I was a window cleaner. And uh, and, and so I tell you know planners, look, you got to factor that. Because if you're going to go into a city and plant, you you I don't care if you make killer money riding a forklift. If you're stuck in the back of a warehouse with two other people, there's these three columns. One is how much money will it make me? The second is how much time will it take me? 
And then the third one, I wish I could make it rhyme, but that one is how much of my target community is it going to expose me to? So uh, when I got back to America, I asked, um, I was asking for reviews for my first book and uh, I, I didn't know any famous people. So I was like, well, <laughs> I just asked one of the guys that came to faith. Actually, I discipled him before he came to faith um, doing nerd hobbies again. And uh, he, he ended up, he wrote Peyton Jones. This was his review of me as a, as a church planner best window cleaner I ever had. Shame he went in ministry. You know, one of the things that we've been looking for is uh, jobs that guys can do. You, you can be a mortgage broker and yeah. be a pastor. You can be a window cleaner and be a pastor. There's there's a number of things that really do give themselves to, you know, a little bit better than driving a school bus. Yeah. Uh, put food on the table. Yeah. The the best one that I've come across recently, and you'll you'll know Bo Moffitt, he and another planner that I trained here in San Diego, they're both notaries. Oh. And being a public notary, you make your own hours. And it, one of my planners quadrupled his income. Wow. Um, it, it's insane. Before that, he was repairing uh, windshields and he was doing a couple other things, but notary, public notary, boom. That's a great one because you're a lot of times you're into people's houses. The conversation in those smaller settings, and you're talking about people's business, so they open up and share about their life. That's a very, very good one. I'm actually taking notes on this part of the conversation too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can wind this thing down, so let's land the plane. I just want to say thank you for taking time to do this. And Is there a way that someone could contact you? If they have questions or if they read the book and they're all excited and you want to know a little bit more, is that, is that a doable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there is, uh, two things. Uh, one is the new breed network.org, which is the little apostolic network that, that I run. It's not super big. It's just, it's just different as all, but then, uh, my personal website is ministry ninja.com and ministry ninja.com. So great. Well, thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, I mean, you're one of my heroes. So this is, uh, and I always say that and I always embarrass you, I suppose, because, uh, you know, but it, it is my honor to be on this podcast, to be, to be honest. So thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net.